In honor of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we're teaming up with Lexus to host Creative Visionaries, a series of four episodes featuring leaders and creators in the community who inspire us. This episode will feature Vice President of Marketing at Lexus, Vinay Shahani, who will discuss how depictions of Asian Americans in advertising has changed over time and his role in fostering this change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Vinay Shahani. Vinay is the Vice President of Marketing at Lexus USA. He is responsible for leading all aspects of marketing for the Lexus brand in the United States, including marketing strategy, communications and media, production marketing, incentives, digital, social media, websites, retail initiatives, sponsorships, engagement marketing, and events and motorsports. Vinay was named 2021 All-Star Marketer by Media Post, a 2015 Rising Star by the Automotive News, and a recipient of the 2014 Salute to Excellence Award by the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce. He was also a member of the Board of Directors of the Ad Council from 2014-2017. Born and raised in Michigan, Vinay earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Michigan and a master's degree in both business administration and manufacturing systems engineering from Stanford University. Vinay is an avid automobile enthusiast and lives in the Dallas area with his wife and children. Vinay, welcome to the show. Maggie, thank you so much. It's uh, really an honor and a pleasure to be here with you and with Brian. Of course. We've been definitely looking for it all week for your episode and looking forward to talking to you too. And just to give our listeners more perspective on who you are, tell us a little bit more about your upbringing, what that was like. I mean, it's hard to believe that all these years have passed by, but as Maggie read my bio, I was born and raised in Michigan. I'm of Indian descent. So my parents actually emigrated from India in the 1960s and they landed in Michigan. And I always ask them, why did you go to Michigan? Of all places, it was cold weather, you know, less snow. But like many Asians, you know, my parents were attracted to the United States for the opportunity. My dad was a mechanical engineer. He came to Michigan to take a job with Ford Motor Company. And that's where he worked for his whole career. So I was born in the mid 70s, kind of very much a student of the car business because of my dad's career. I fell in love with cars. I mean, that's really what it came down to. When I was a little kid, that's all I wanted to talk about was cars and car stuff. And I knew exactly what car was driving down the street. And I became just a, a fan of the industry. And uh, that really kind of influenced me in where uh, where I wanted to go career-wise. You know, my parents are from Michigan originally. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I got a lot of great lessons from having immigrant parents. And, you know, I think that really kind of set me off on the right foot. That's amazing. Yeah, I saw in other articles and from previous podcasts that your father would take you to a lot of car shows before. And that's where you kind of just fell in love with the auto industry and that it kind of ignited your passion for cars. And I think that's just so amazing that you were able to find that passion so early on. So that's just incredible. Yeah, Maggie, it's a great point. I think I was like four years old wow. when I went to my first auto show. And back then, you know, the Detroit auto show was this big glamorous, glitzy thing. And they're not like the auto shows you see today where it's just like, you know, cars on carpet, but they were, you know, celebrities would come in, they would, you know, have big reveals and black tie and they'd serve champagne. Obviously I was too young for that, but I actually thought I wanted to be a car designer. I really thought I could draw cars and I could be the next person to drive or excuse me, to, to design a, a cool new sports car but I didn't have any artistic ability. So I was like, all right, I got to scratch that plan. But you know what? 
I was good at math. I was a good, you know, sort of problem solver, systemic thinker. And so engineering seemed very natural. And that was kind of my, you know, my dad joined Ford because it was a career and he was very sort of math oriented and STEM oriented. My dad never loved cars. Like that's where he and I were very different. He did it because it was a career and it and it aligned with his, I guess call it skill set. But I went down that path from a just pure passion and love for the product. You know, probably took a few steps that were consistent with what he took, but ended up being very different paths, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely respect that too. And I feel like nowadays, passion is everything, right? Because 100%. there's so many hurdles, so many things you have to overcome. And if you're truly passionate about it, you'd be more innovative with the field, right? You yep. think outside the box because you're obsessed. You think about it all the time. How can I make things better? And I'm kind of curious too, and you know, understanding that you do come from a South Asian background. Yeah. How has that played a role in becoming a marketing executive? That's a really good question, Brian. I think big factors. The first of which, you know, again, I, I mentioned that my parents were immigrants and they came over from India. And, you know, my dad, when he came to this country, he didn't have a penny in his pocket. I mean, he spent all his money to just get to the country. And, you know, obviously he started his career. And I think what I really saw from my dad was work ethic that I think was foundational in the South Asian community and, and just in the Asian community in general. You know, he worked his ass off to build his life and to set the foundation for his family. And I think as a child, when you see that, it kind of sets the bar pretty high. So I think that was something that led me to have very strong aspirations. And I could see that, you know, if you put the work in, you're going to get what you want in life. So I think that's probably the first thing. The second thing I think about, and, and you guys can probably relate to this, just, you know, from what I know about you, Asian families tend to put a high emphasis on education. And, you know, especially for, you know, my parents, like education was a way to build a better life. It's the way to more prosperity. And I think that that was something like there was never any question about college. It was like, all right, you got to go to college and you're probably going to go beyond that. So what do you want to do with your life? And how do you just go run after it and make it happen? I think that's probably the third thing, which is my parents and that culture that we were raised in, you know, in Michigan, the, the South Asian community was really tight. First of all, there wasn't a whole lot of them in the 60s. And, you know, I think naturally when you're an immigrant, you come together with other people that you recognize that understand your traditions and they build a community. And I think that community, what I learned from them was be hungry, be hungry to go make it happen, go work hard. No one else is going to do it for you. And like looking back on it today, I think those tools, those skill sets, those ways of looking at problems saying, you know what? I may not know the answer today, but I'm going to work my ass off to get it figured out. Those are foundational tools. And I feel really fortunate that those were instilled in me early in life. And I think that's in and of itself is a privilege that many of us Asians have in terms of our upbringing. And then the final thing I'll say is this mentality of never being satisfied. You know, whether you're South Asian or East Asian, you know, it's a foundational concept in Japanese thinking, this notion of Kaizen and continuous improvement. I'll never forget when I was in junior high and I came home with a report card and I had one A minus out of seven grades, I had one A minus, the rest were A's. And I showed it to my dad and he was like, he doesn't even smile. He looks at me, he goes, what happened? At first I'm like, really? Cause my neighbor, my buddy that I went to school with, you know, his parents would pay him $40 for every A, $30 for every B, $20 for every C. And I'm just like, how is that even fair? But what I realized looking back on it was he was setting the bar high for me. And it's like, 
don't ever be satisfied. You can always do better. And again, that's those are some of the things that played into how I look at things and my drive behind wanting to get into my dream industry, my dream job as an exec in the car business. Yeah, I really love that you bring up the Kaizen model, continuous improvement. doesn't matter how you improve every day. As long as you improve a little bit, everything will compound, right? That's and right. That's the proper mindset for any leader, any executive, any entrepreneur out there is that you may not be the greatest today, but as long as you reflect upon it and know what direction you need to head towards and improve upon that, everything will compound and add up, right? And your story about, you know, your dad setting the bar really high is highly relatable. Most of us in this podcast, right? I don't know why you start the memory in my mind too. But I remember in second grade, I got like a 94% off a test and I started crying my, started crying my butt off, right? Because it's yeah. the expectations we have for ourselves. Like we have to push ourselves to the next level because it's all a mindset. Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And you see it a lot. You see it like for me, it was like when I went to college, I grew up in a town in Michigan that was majority Caucasian. And then when I went to college and I got to the University of Michigan, all of a sudden, like, boom, I'm on the scene with like all these other Asians. And I was like, I've never seen this many people before, whether they were Chinese American, Indian American, Pakistani American, Vietnamese. I mean, I had friends from all over the world and you start to see these commonalities and you're like, wow, I really kind of get it. I do think there were some bad things that I saw that also led me to kind of want to be a, a leader in business. And the one bet that and it just came to mind while I was in college, I was fortunate to get to do internships and I did them at Ford Motor Company. So my first summer, I worked in the climate control division. And what we were responsible for was designing air conditioning systems for new vehicles. And what we would do, as you would imagine, whenever you build something new, you want to go test it. And so you build a new SUV with a new air conditioning system, where would be the best place to test that SUV? Take a guess. Yes, exactly right. In, in Las Vegas? Close. Very, in, the desert. Very, in the desert. You guys, you, you hit the nail on the head. So we go to Phoenix and we let these cars sit in the sun until the interior temperature get up to 140 degrees. Then all seven of us would pile into the vehicle and we all had these comfort meters in our respective position in our in the SUV. And over time, as the air conditioning is, as you're driving around in the air conditioning, cooling down the interior, you dial in how comfortable you feel. So 10 is I'm extremely uncomfortable in terms of feeling too hot. One is the most comfortable. And so we do this all day and we'd go and we'd interrogate the data and we would look at the charts and you see all these graphs over time and each line represented one person and where they were sitting. And there was always one that tended to be a little bit higher than the others in terms of comfort. And ironically, that was me. And so we're trying to dissect and, you know, and analyze the data. And this one guy chimes in, he goes, well, your people are always warm. You're used to warm climate. I'm like, what the, what, what did you just say to me? Do you mean like tall, good looking people? Is that what you're talking about or what? <laughs> and of course I knew what he meant, but it pissed me off. It pissed me off that he was calling me out based on my ethnicity. He knows nothing about me. You can't say that just because your parents came from one part of the world that's warm, that you're going to automatically feel more comfortable when it's warm. That's ridiculous. But it pissed me off. And what I learned from that and what it did for me as a leader is like, I never want to make someone feel like that when I work with them. I want them to feel respected. I want them to feel like I see you. I respect you. I want to hear what you have to say. And that experience really set me in, I think, the right frame of mind in terms of how I approach team dynamics and interpersonal dynamics and how we work together. And really, I think the importance of being seen and, and being recognized. 
I'm so glad that you brought that up and that you stood up for yourself at that time. And I think there's also this other misconception or stereotype that a lot of us as Asians, we don't know how to stand up for ourselves and we don't know how to talk back, right? And we just tend to stay quiet. We don't voice our opinions. And I think that's when that stereotypes kind of heightens and people take advantage of that. But those are, there are those little subtle remarks that people, most people think are not harmful, but they add up. And it's always those subtle remarks that are the most harmful because people think that it's okay to say something like that, but it isolates someone so much and it makes you, you know, feel singled out. And I'm just so glad that you were able to stand up for yourself because during those times, it's like, it's most needed when we need to talk back and say like, that's not okay. Like, I'm sure if anyone had that kind of remark or comment directed towards them, they wouldn't appreciate that. And it's always for us to stand up for ourselves. It's it's that's the starting point for us. That's the stepping stone for us to really progress forward. It's such an important point, Maggie. Right. And it's something it's a point that I try to instill with my kids all the time. I have a nine year old and a 12 year old and, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I think as you get experience, you become more confident. And maybe I was a little overconfident as a younger kid. I don't know why, but I had a mouth on me and I wasn't afraid to use it. You think back to that era. I mean, I'm, I'm much older than you both, but you know, back when I was a kid, if I watched TV, if I watched advertising, I never saw anybody that looked like me in an ad. Didn't happen. And I think that underscored, again, the importance of being seen and I always said to myself, like, if I ever go into that field, I want to change that. It was super important for me. And I think fortunately, with the work that you guys are doing, putting a spotlight on creative people, entrepreneurs, we're showing people, showing younger people that you can have the confidence. You have the confidence to go and do whatever you want to do. And that is so important because you don't always get those signals depending on your upbringing, depending on your stage of your life that you're in, you know, depending on your financial situation. The cool leveling fact is hard work can clear up all of that and have confidence in yourself. And it's okay to speak up for yourself. People will respect you and you'll feel more and more comfortable doing that the next time it ever happens. And we all know it's going to happen. Absolutely. And I think that's like a perfect segue into the next question that I want to ask now that we're on the topic of representation, right? Yeah. How have you seen the depictions of Asian Americans in advertising change over the years? And how have you personally contributed to the evolution as well? Yeah, thanks for that. I think you can hear I'm pretty passionate about representation. And I think just to rewind the clock, initially, like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't see much of us anywhere right? I mean, whether it was advertising or whether it was entertainment, you know, I think it was the exception, not the rule to see Asians. And maybe you did see something, but it was, it was always a stereotype. And this used to piss me off too, right? right. It was a, you'd see an Indian as a convenience store owner, or you see an East Asian as a laundromat owner, or maybe a restaurant owner, but you didn't see them as bosses. You didn't see them as badasses. And I think times have changed now. And you just look around, you know, you see Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, with all the stuff that's happening on Twitter, you see Parag Agarwal, he's the CEO, young CEO of Twitter. You know, my friend who lives here in Dallas, this guy, Amit Sankar, and he's the CEO of a company called Religion of Sports. They did Tom versus Time on Facebook Watch. Tom Brady, he's a part owner of the company. You know, we talked about 
Dave Liu and, and what he's doing with Hyphen Capital, giving opportunity for Asian entrepreneurs. I mean, it's really inspiring when you look around. So my point of view and, and our collective point of view at Lexus is we see you, we see what you're doing, and we want to change the narrative and we want to really show what's happening. And you know, to answer the second part of your question, Maggie, I think we want to show that we see you. We know you're badass. We know you're empathetic leaders, you're athletes, movie stars, fashion icons, moguls, but you're also Americans too. And I think where I've been able to assert some influence, first of all, I have a great team. I have a great team of partners. You've met some of them, you know, whether they're our agency partners. So we work closely with IW Group. That's our Asian ad agency. We work with a company called Walton Isaacson that really does the same thing for Black, Hispanic, LGBTQ+, all of that. And we have our general market or transcultural affluent agency, Team One. And together, we work on lifting, you know, rising the tide for everyone. So what we'll do is we'll celebrate cultural moments. This is really important to me. So Lexus, we celebrated the Lunar New Year earlier this year. We did a campaign for Holi, which is a big Indian festival a couple months ago. We um, partnered with, I don't know if you use Peloton, Aditi Shah, she's a Peloton instructor. Richa Murjani, she's the star of Never Have I Ever. We worked with Tiffany Pham, who's a CEO of Mogul. We brought her into our flagship luxury car, the Lexus LS. We did a campaign with her talking about modern empathetic leaders. So that's where we've been able to really shine a spotlight on some of the people and the cool things that they're doing, but ultimately just showing everyone that, look, we have a very diverse market that we serve and we want to reflect that in who we are as a brand. I don't think words can describe how much I appreciate what you just said, right? It takes people like yourself executives like yourself to essentially trailblaze this path, right? Because you would think that by today we'll be, we'll have better representation for the Asian community, but we're not, right? And I feel like still nowadays it's very skewed towards East Asian, like still needs to be a lot of work for South Asians, Southeast Asians and the full diaspora. It makes me really happy to hear that Lexus is pushing forward with representation. And I can see that it really started from, I hope I'm giving you a lot of credit here. <laughs> you can see, see that it really started from you right? And your vision and pushing your team in the right direction, because it really takes one person to voice what's wrong, right? And sometimes when you're at a company that has been around for hundreds of years, a hundred years, sometimes the issue isn't quite as obvious and you need people to call it out. That's how you can continuously improve things and Kaizen that model, right? Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, look, I wish I could take all the credit for it, but I can't. I mean, first and foremost, we're an Asian company, right? I mean, Lexus was born in the United States, believe it or not. We're a Japanese company, but the Lexus brand started here 33 years ago. And I think that there's a underdog mindset that permeates how we look at things. We have a very diverse group of people in the company, in the marketing organization. I would say though, what I bring to the table is this is top of mind because I lived it and breathed it. I grew up with it. I have friends who I'm seeing do freaking amazing things that I'm humbled by. My wife, I mean, my wife's story, she's she's one of my my biggest examples of like a trailblazer. She's a doctor. She worked in hospital medicine for 14 years. And one of the things she saw time and time again was these people that would come in where if they had just focused on preventative care, they wouldn't have been in the situation that they're in. So she decided to become an entrepreneur. And I give her a lot of credit because doctors, doctors aren't trained as entrepreneurs. She became a lifestyle medicine physician. She went and got board certified in lifestyle medicine, obesity medicine, and she started her own practice from nothing. 
And now she advises companies on how to improve health. She's gotten me healthy. She's gotten our whole family healthy. She helps people reverse diabetes. She's a trailblazer and she did it like she saw an opportunity. She followed her passion because she was passionate about it and she's doing something about it. And I see so many people like that. I think it's just so inspiring. And we want to be an amplifier. We want to tell that story. And, and I think Lexus, honestly, we've done really well historically with Asians. You probably see it a lot. You know, your parents, your parents' friends, they've driven Lexuses. They see Lexus as the brand. But I think the opportunity for us is your generation and younger people who have other op options that are available to them. And we want to rekindle that relationship with affluent Asians in particular, because we want them to see what Lexus has to offer. And, and it's really sincere when I say we want them to know that we see them because that's the building block, the foundation of building a relationship with, uh, with a group of people. Definitely. And you don't have to worry about us. I, uh, my parents drive Lexuses. My sister drives a Lexus. I personally love Lexus. <laughs> so not to worry about our generation. We, we'll be okay. <laughs> yes. Brian's whole family drives Lexus. And, you know, obviously a lot of Asian people love Lexus and it's durable. It's, you know, they always say, yes, Lexus is the most durable car out there. It's really durable. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's the double-edged sword. Cause I agree with you. We have that reputation of being durable, reliable, having high quality value where we haven't had the strong enough reputation is in the sexiness, in the performance. And that's where I'm really pushing hard. So as an example, you know, we run a motorsports program, Lexus races in IMSA, which is the International Motorsports Association. It's owned by NASCAR. So it's a part of NASCAR, but it's a separate sports car racing series where we compete against Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Aston Martin. And we have two vehicles that my team sponsors and uh, works closely with a race team. And that's where it's like, when people realize we're racing RCF GT3s on the track and you can actually go buy that vehicle in the showroom, I'm like, we gotta blow that story up and let everybody know. Same thing with the electrification, you know, electric is becoming really, really important. We started electric before it was even a thing with hybrid. That's essentially in the same path, right? You add an electric motor to a gas motor, and then you get a lot more benefits, better efficiency, better performance. And now we're tuning these hybrids and plug-in hybrids to be more performance-oriented. So you look at the, the new NX that we just launched that has a plug-in hybrid version that's really fun to drive. We've got an all-electric battery electric vehicle coming later this year, the RZ450E. I want to tell those stories because... A lot of people don't realize that Lexus is that wide in terms of the products that we sell and the segments that we're in. So it's a cool opportunity to tell a fun story about the brand. Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because as a storyteller and a marketer of any brand, your biggest goal is to try to connect and engage with your consumers and your audience, right? And I've also heard that you've like Lexus wasn't on TikTok until you came on board. So that's just like another way that you were able to expand on social media because, you know, all other brands are like on Instagram, on, on Facebook, but then TikTok, this whole new platform. I heard that you were the one who brought it up and said, like, why aren't we on TikTok? And you wow. were able to, you know, kind of dive into this new generation and this new audience and really grab their attention. Well, it's funny. I got to give credit where credit is due. And it was really my wife that Aww. where I saw my wife started her own TikTok channel as a doctor. And I saw how doctors were using it. And I was blown away because you know about shadow banning, right? So sometimes right. like there, my wife will come up with this great content and it won't go anywhere. It's because they change the algorithms all the time. 
And she noticed that TikTok was competing with Instagram Reels and the algorithms were heavily favoring Reels content so that you know you have an option to kind of go up against TikTok. When she was going through that, I, I walked into the office one day. I'm like, hey, guys, show me what we're doing in TikTok. And it's like, well, we're not in it yet. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is our time, guys. We got to jump in. And the team did a phenomenal job. The first TikTok campaign we did was actually something that was super relevant. It's about distracted driving. And most people think they're just looking down at their phone for a second. But the reality is you're actually looking down for, on an average of 4.6 seconds. And so what we did was we set up this car where the windows go dark for 4.6 seconds while you're driving on a closed course. So all of a sudden you can't see for 4.6 seconds and the panic that ensues, like when you realize you can't see, I mean, you're like, what is going on? And that's the reality what people don't understand is 4.6 seconds when you're going 60, 70 miles per hour, you are like a missile, a heat-seeking missile at that point. You can get into a lot of trouble. And just coming up with a quick video that showed that story was super impactful in terms of getting the attention of very young people, many of whom probably didn't pay attention to Lexus until we had that compelling content that was out there. And then, of course, you just get better and better. And you, you find ways to find other partners and other platforms where we can experiment and try things. And, and my big thing to my team is... I'm going to celebrate failure as much as I celebrate the success. Because if you show me that you're going to try something new and take a risk, and if we fail, maybe we didn't get the right engagement rate. Maybe we didn't get the right number of follows. Maybe we didn't get enough conversion. That's okay. It's totally okay in my book, because guess what? We learned something from that. And that's going to make us better the next few times. And our team is just fantastic about that. We have this, we call it PDCA, plan, do, check, and act. And we follow that cycle in everything we do. It's part of that Kaizen mentality. And that makes us better every single time. That's how we raise the bar in what we do. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun to experiment and, and do fun new things. Wow. I have to look up that video about the windows shutting off because yeah. I can only imagine how effective that would be to have an ad like that. And I think a lot of us, we think we can see, you know, in our peripheral vision, as long as we can see in our peripheral vision, everything's okay. But I think we overestimate our ability to understand what's going on around us when we're looking at our phones while driving. So, I mean, yeah, amazing ad strategy for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, again, I give credit to our agency partners, our team in coming up with that creative concept. You know, it's a team sport, right? I mean, marketing is a team sport and we've got the best agencies. We've got the best people on the team. I will send you the link to the TikTok video, but it was super interesting. And again, it was a learning opportunity for us. So we have this, you know, going back to the earlier conversation about confidence, confidence comes with experience. Confidence comes after you've tried a few things and you say, okay, I think I'm, I'm getting this, but it also comes with the humility to say, okay, maybe I didn't do this right, but I'm learning from it. And that breeds more confidence. And it's really great to see that amongst the team. And we've got, you know, one of my big passion points is, mentorship and, and growing new leaders within the organization. That's where I see my biggest role as the head of marketing for any organization, whether it's my current role, whether I, when I was the head of marketing for Volkswagen, you want to grow your leaders. You want to give them the experience that's going to give the confidence that's going to help explain what the corporate values are that will ultimately drive the business. And that's where I want my legacy to be. It's just helping young people, helping people who are growing up within the organization get to where they need to be in terms of their goals, their aspirations. 
Absolutely. And on that topic, we have one last question for you, Vinay, and okay. that is, what advice would you give to the next generation of Asian marketers and advertisers? Oh, that's such a great question. And I, I think it's very, just a very simple concept. Follow your passion. Know that if you work hard, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. I'm living proof of that. You know, I've given you examples of entrepreneurs who I know who've done that exact same thing. I think too often we get in our own way. The only thing that's stopping you from achieving your goal and your passion is yourself. And I think we as, as people, especially as Asians, got to recognize that, first of all, look around. There's plenty of examples of people who've just done amazing things, broken through those barriers. But if you see an opportunity, go grab it. You'll be amazed at what you're capable of doing when you put your mind to it and when you put your hard work behind it and you chase your passion. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that statement more. Like you're living proof. And I just want our whole community to hear that too, right? A lot of times we tell ourselves voices that we can't do this, we can't do that. We let others' opinion, including our parents, stop us from what we want to do. But I think true passion always shines through, right? And you want to live life in a way where you won't regret your decisions and you know that you're going to fulfill your fullest potential. Thank you so much for that answer. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, again, major, major props to you, Brian and Maggie, for what you're doing with the Asian Hustle Network and, and the, the spotlight that you're shining, the stories that you're telling. You're giving people a platform and a voice. And, and we really salute you for what you're doing. And, and again, on behalf of everyone at Lexus, thank you for letting us be part of it. And uh, thanks for letting me be part of the, uh, the podcast. Oh, Vinay, it was our pleasure. <laughs> so where can our listeners find out more about you and Lexus online? Well, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. You can obviously go to Lexus.com. We can make sure that we give you a graphic with all of our handles on a link. So that's possible. I love talking about what we're doing at Lexus. So at Vinay Blue is my Instagram handle. But, you know, at Lexus is, you know, another another great avenue for people to learn what we're, what we're doing. And again, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Great. Thank you so much, Vinay. We'll leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. It was amazing hearing your story. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Vinay. Thanks to Vinay for sharing his inspirational story with us during Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And thank you for tuning into our final episode of the Creative Visionary Series presented by Lexus.